Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And by the way, when I'm not interviewing entrepreneurs, I run. I run endlessly. I love San Francisco now because there are fewer people here, which means running through the streets. been wonderful. Here's one of the problems that I have as a runner. It's nutrition. It's nutrition to the point where when I ran in Mongolia, I had to, in the middle of the run, find some food because it was a marathon that I was doing on my own. I had no food. I ran into some local store, got a whole loaf of bread just so I could have a little bit of bread to eat. And I remember it was actually a pretty cool little market. There was, there was a guy who was like cutting raw meat on the floor. It was unlike real, but I had to stop my marathon for that. There are these gels that you're supposed to get, but then you have to carry like 20 of them with you because every mile or so you have to take them. It's it's just such a hassle and such a headache and it's such an interruption of my run. Well, joining me is an entrepreneur who, who found a way around it. And what's interesting to me is what led her to the solution to my problem. Her name is Shoba Morali. She is the founder of UCAN. It's a nutritional products company. And because of a disease, a rare disease that her co-founder's son had, she was able to solve her co-founder or help her co-founder's son through the disease and then help runners like me with the same solution that she found for him. We're going to get into the details of how it did, uh, of how she did it and how she built up this company. And we, the interesting thing for me is, show, but you didn't say, here's one person, rare issue, it doesn't matter, but you solved or you dealt with that problem, which then said, wait, there are other people who could benefit from that solution. That creative process to come up with a company with a product is the thing that makes me so interested in UCAN, your company. Right. I should say this interview, we find out about how UCAN is doing, how it got started, how it grew. It's possible thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first will host your website, right? It's called HostGator. And the second, if you're paying a team of people, employees, contractors, both. You need to know about rippling.com slash Mixergy. I'll talk about both those later, but first, Shoba, good to have you here. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. What's the disease that the boy had? The condition that uh, my co-founder's son has um, is called glycogen storage disease. It's a very, very rare condition. It manifests itself right at birth. Children born with this condition are missing a particular gene that converts our glycogen stores to glucose. Almost all of us who eat, um, you know, when we eat a meal, our excess blood sugar is shunted into the liver as glycogen. And unbeknownst to us, when we are talking like this on a podcast, that glycogen is converting to glucose and it's fueling our brain and every, every other cell in, every cell in the body. Uh, with this child, he was born with a condition where he's unable to convert those glycogen stores to glucose, which really means that this, if um, this is not treated in any manner, if he doesn't have a way of getting glucose into his blood, his entire body can shut down. He can go into uh, epileptic shock and coma. So children born with this condition have to be fed every two hours, day and night, because whatever breaks down from their digestive system and gives glucose into the blood is what keeps them going. Okay. And in 1970s, a Duke researcher had found that feeding these children cornstarch uh, through the gut. And remember, these are in, you know, right at infants, right as infants, right as when, when they are born, they are fed this cornstarch every two hours. So if you're a parent of a child, uh, you can imagine what a night that is with parents taking turns every two hours, getting up and feeding their child. Every two hours, all day, every day, they're getting up and feeding their child. Day and night. Day this and regimen, night. This regimen of feeding every two hours had to be kept up day and night. Okay. If you miss a feeding even by a little bit, that child can have a loss of glucose, which means the body shuts down, the brain shuts down, and it is life-threatening. Let me see if I understand this right. You created a formula, you created food that allows him to slowly get what over, over a longer period of time than the two hours? It's slowly get... So we, we, we created a product, a nutrition product that allows him to break down and digest it very slowly and get glucose, which is really energy into the blood over a long period of time. That two hour feeding became eight hour feedings. That's the thing. So now the glucose was released over a longer period of time 
And that's what allows him to not have to have the two hour feeding and also allows me, if I understand this right, to not have every 45 minutes or hour, another one of those gel packs the way that they tell you to do when I'm in a marathon. That's, that's the exactly right. That's so when it. you, when you as an athlete have something which is healthier than oatmeal, and that's what we were giving him. Yes. And that was allowing him to sustain for eight hours. You as an athlete for your endurance activity, you're looking for an energy source. And this is an energy source that will sustain you in a steady manner for a long period of time. I told you that the mistake that I made with you, Ken, was I bought I bought everything that you had because I, I wanted to try it. And then I got the granola and my mistake was I just kept eating the granola because it tasted good and I wanted to fill up. And then I took, I did what I always do, which is I took a Ziploc bag of some extra and I put it in my running pants pocket. And the mistake that I made was assuming it was like regular food. I think I overdid it before the run. And then I added onto it in the run expecting something just doesn't feel right. Let's eat even more because it's not meant to be eaten like that. It's meant to have a smaller portion, let the glucose unleash over a longer period of time. Right. That, that That's exactly right. And with our energy mix, you know, you've got a lot of other uh, ingredients that are combined with it, with it. So what might have upset, you know, caused that kind of overload for your stomach is a little unclear for me, but it could very well have been all of the seeds and the nuts and the fats that go in into that energy mix. So it's not really meant to be the, the, the form format that we would recommend for a runner for a long period of time. All right, let's get into how you got here. But first, what's the revenue today? What do you feel comfortable telling me about where you are? Well, as a private company, you know, we keep that kind of confidential. But let me tell you that we're, if we were a, a $50 million business, I would be putting the number out there. So it's not yet 50 million. Is it, is it over 10? I, I'm not looking to get the specific number if you're uncomfortable with it, but I want to get a, a sense of how big the business is. You, you would, you know, I would say put it between a 10 and a 50 million. Um, Got it. Okay. That, that gives me a sense of where it is. All bootstrapped? Uh, more recently, except for, I'd say 2018, we went for a professional round of financing. Prior to that, it was all friends and family. All right. Before you were doing this, you were working on Acorn. What's Acorn? Today, Acorn would be called a big data company. Mm -hmm. uh, Acorn was really a database marketing company, which um, did a lot of lot of analytics for um, based on data for customers. So they mm -hmm. so you you could cross sell and upsell and really understand segmentation better. Um, the ultimate goal was one on one marketing. You sold the business. Uh, we merged with another entity and went IPO. Do you remember the day that you went public? March 2001. Wow. March 2001. That's after the dot-com bubble burst, right? Just around the time that the dot-com bubble burst, just before the dot-com bubble burst. And so how did, how did it do at the IPO? And then afterwards- At the IPO, do? it did well. But you know, like a lot of dot-com uh, businesses around that time, I mean, it didn't have a full trajectory that it could have had. And I, as an entrepreneur who had sold my business, um, really had a, a required commitment to stay on for one mm -hmm. year. And after that, I really moved on to other things. Once an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. You um, you were in New York, was it, at 9-11? That's months after uh, the IPO, right? That's exactly right. So the day, my last day, um, well, I, I I left Acorn after it had been sold and it had gone IPO. And 9-11 uh, was um, the year that 9-11 happened. 9-11 happens to be my birthday. And I was on a golf mm. course with my husband because I just sold my business. And it was the first time in a very, very long time that I had time to take off. And then he took off also. Otherwise, he would have been, he's a Wall Street guy. He would have been in the office, would have been impacted by the plane hitting the two planes hitting the World Trade Center. Uh, yes, that he was very, you know, he'd really uh, to this day, I'm so, so grateful for uh, for that, that he was with me and not at uh, the World Trade Center. He was supposed um, to be in the World Trade Center that day. Uh, he, was, he was going to be in seven World Trade Center, which is where his offices were. And um, he, he worked for Lehman Brothers at that time as a managing director. He had taken the day off because it was my birthday and we were on the golf course together. And uh, when we got back after the, at the ninth hole, when we, were, when we stopped at the clubhouse and we checked our phones, we had about 60 voicemail messages of everybody uh, calling us out of concern for him. And that building was, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia, it was destroyed September 11 attacks, right? That's right. Wow. It was. It was not 
yeah, it was left un- unoccupiable. You told our producer 9-11 impacted you tremendously. How? Well, um, I live in a town which is a commuter town to the city, right? So one, it impacted me because it, it really shook me to the core that my husband could have been there that day. Uh, two, we live in a commuter town, so we know what it was when I went to pick up my kids from school. The number of kids who were really held back in school because the school administration had no idea if their parents were going to come back and when they were going to come back from the city. So a lot of those things, both in our community and amongst our friends, it really hit hard. Um, so it it really became one of now, I mean, I had taken uh, I had taken time off, I'd sold my business. I came to the realization that if I really needed to get involved with anything else, it had to have meaning in life. It had to have a purpose. And didn't you feel that before what you were doing had a purpose? What do you mean? What's the difference? The difference is, you know, listen, I'm, um, I'm a technology entrepreneur. I've been, a techno- I've been an, enge- I'm, I'm an engineer. I've been in technology companies. Technology companies impact lives. I'm not saying they don't. But uh, they do so in in somewhat of indirect ways. So your personal fulfillment is in seeing lives change uh, by your immediate actions. I'd say like if you think of our frontline heroes today, that's what they're doing, right? They're doing things where they can see an immediate impact on their lives, um, immediate impact on life. So I wanted to get involved with something that didn't necessarily have a, a technology solution to it or mm. a big return on investment to it, but had a purpose behind it. Where you can see somebody's life clearly getting better because of it, not a business being more efficient, but a person's life being improved. Yes, Andrew, you said it better than I did. I get it. All right. And so then a few years later, Peter Kaufman told you about someone who he met at a synagogue. Who is Peter Kaufman? Peter Kaufman is my co-founder. He's my colleague. He's been a fellow technology entrepreneur. We've done business together prior to UCAN. Um, so we've been friends for a very long time. And so he told you about a family that ha- in the in the synagogue, in the community that had this condition that we talked about a moment ago. You, t- you heard about this two-hour feeding situation. Is that when you said, okay, I think this is my moment? Or were you just slowly kind of helping out and then it eventually became a thing? Yeah, it's it was slowly helping out. Uh, he uh, we both he invited me to a symposium, um, which was conducted by the child's father and another very successful biotech entrepreneur, Dr. Steve Squinto. Uh, the child's father is David Feldman. David Feldman, Dr. Steve Squinto, uh, Dr. Steve Squinto, Peter Kaufman, and I we had all attended that uh, symposium, where. People were discussing, uh, physicians, uh, researchers were all discussing this condition that Jonah had. And along the way, we came to the realization that this was not a straightforward cure. It required gene therapy, stem cell therapy, a bunch of other things that were very, very new, um, were new technologies for newborn children. Um, and so we shifted our focus to, is there a better way to manage this condition? You know, can we take that two-hour feeding and extend it? Okay. Why did you care? Why didn't you say, I'm here, I'm listening, maybe I could donate something? Why was this something that you cared enough about to follow through and look at stem cell research and then wonder about nutrition or something else? Well, that's um, um, the condition of glucose management to me um, – struck a chord, part because my father had been diabetic and I lost my father to type 2 diabetes. I, at that time, had a brother-in-law who, uh, you know, I'm Indian by background and uh, diabetes is the number one or number two largest, uh, you know, issue around the world is in India. India and China are number one or number two with, with respect to that condition. And uh, my brother-in-law had late-stage renal failure, so I really figured that if there's a way to manage blood glucose, it would help not only Jonah, but it would help a lot of diabetic individuals. Ah, okay. So that's the thing that I was getting at. The bigger vision in the smaller single problem, that's the thing that's sometimes hard to, to do. To not say, well, there aren't a lot of people who have this. To not say, well, 
maybe I can help this one person, but he's in a community that can help him already. Why don't I find someone who's worse off or a bigger group of people that I can help? But to instead say, in this one specific dramatic problem, we could find a solution for other people who aren't as dramatically impacted. That's the big leap, I think, that's really impressive. Yes, and 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 to believe in the possibility of that, right? I mean, when you're going in, you don't really know that you'll find that. You don't really know you have a solution. But just to believe in the possibility that pursuing this might lead you to that, that was what was very intriguing for me. Okay, so Shoba, you said, let's keep looking. You, you said, if it's not going to be stem cell and other solutions that are way too complicated and out of reach, let's see what else there is. What else did you look for before you hit on the right answer? Well, we started looking at carbohydrates of all kinds because carbohydrates break down to give you glucose. And remember, Jonah was having cornstarch, which is really another form of carb. So, um, and I, I, I give a lot of credit to my entire team there, Dr. Squinto, uh, David Feldman and the others. They started calling up carbohydrate researchers around the world, the World Health Organization, trying to see if there was any other carbohydrate out there that did better than what Jonah was having. And uh, so he was tested with a lot of things. He was tested with various forms of carbs, um, resistant starches, pea proteins, and all of and, and a variety of these things. And uh, Dr. Squinto, being um, a brilliant scientist, started uh, Googling and looking at patent applications. And we finally hit on a patent application that was filed in, um, in Scotland. And the patent application talked about a, a cooking method. You know, when you cook pasta, you can overcook it or undercook it. So by applying heat, moist, moisture, and pressure, this uh, carbohydrate researcher had, who had been independently working on the very same solution we were seeking. He was trying to find a solution for this condition by trying variety of carbohydrates in his university lab and had cracked a method of uh, cooking a, a particular kind of non-GMO corn in a manner that would give a very, very slow breakdown of glucose. So that patent application caught our attention, and that's really where everything began. Did you? Did they get the patent? Yes, or the patent has now it. been issued worldwide. Were you U.S. Europe? Were you then reaching out to them and saying, can we use your license, your patent, buy your patent? That's exactly right. When we reached out to uh, this researcher, it was patent applied. It wasn't yet patented. And it was patent, you know, we reached out to him and we said, listen, your profile, your patent application is very intriguing. We'd love to get the rights for this. And we'd like to really look at, um, you know, uh, uh, working with this. Uh, the, the methodology really was being done in very, very small batches in a Duron bottle in a university setting about, four, you know, cooking starch for over 48 hours. So um, we told him we wanted the rights to it. And he said, well, sorry, the rights for glycogen storage disease, which is the condition that Jonah has, is taken. So we said, well, um, what about the rights for consumer nutrition? Because Jonah today was taking cornstarch, which is a consumer nutrition product. Mm -hmm. And we said, what about the rights for consumer nutrition? And he says, well, uh, I can give that to you. Um, and for us, that's all it was, it was really a need to address a particular child's problem, not the entire population of children with that condition and to see if it worked. And then it worked, right? Yes, it you did. How much work was it to get it to work for him? Was it you just making it at home and uh, and and then hitting on the right approach? Well, um, it it was quite involved because taking laboratory technologies and scaling them is non-trivial. Um, you know, we tried approaching some of the major starch companies and giving them the patent application and getting them to scale it. Um, they said if you apply moisture, heat, uh, and pressure to a uh, starting material that's in powder form, you'll end up with a big ball of dough. And we paid for these pilots. They weren't successful. 
And um, ultimately, we took the guidance of um, of another chemical engineer who had um, done tremendous work scaling laboratory technologies for pharmaceutical companies, and we created our own equipment to scale this. Um, so that was a multi-year process, the ability to find a way of commercially scaling it, because you don't want to have Jonah start on a regimen where you're not able to manufacture enough of this. So before you even made it available to him, you wanted to make sure you could make it available. In sizable quantities, let's say 25 kilograms, 75 kilograms, not. But did you test it on him to see if it worked, if he could go from two hours to three hours? Uh, no, we, we our first set of starts that we obtained to even test it was um, about we paid three thousand dollars for two kilograms of starch. So we had to at least be able to produce 75 kilograms at a time to say, well, okay, it's 20 times lab. You can more than 20 times lab means you can commercially scale. How much money did you invest until you got it going, until you were able to sell it? Oh, I'd say getting our patent uh, licenses and applying for various engineering uh, improvements to be able to incrementally scale was a good couple of million dollars. At oh least. wow! And that's self-funding, or that yeah, that was self-funded. Self-funding. Then. Everything was self-funding. self-funding because you saw a market. What was the market that you saw that could justify spending a couple million dollars? Well, the market potential was that if you cracked this for Jonah, you could really crack it for everyday individuals who are looking for um, steady, steady nutrition or steady energy without the ill effects of sugars. So that's really the market potential. Which what's the ill effects of sugar? What's the ill effect? Of, so you're thinking even, and this is where when I was first thinking about you, Ken, I said not necessarily. I don't know that I immediately jumped to running. I think that at the time I was having a problem where I was working from home, which I freaking hate partially because there's just food all the time around. And so I was constantly feeding my need for energy by by eating. And I said, if I could just eat something that gives me more energy that's spread out throughout the day, that's a big win. That's what you were thinking of. A worker who says, I don't want to have this big burst of energy, get a lot done, and then feel saggy afterwards, but have slow, slow... Um, uh, uh, a healthier form of energy. Let's call it a healthier form over of a shorter, for, Over a longer period of time. That's right. But you were thinking of, can we sell this to the person at home? Can we sell it to the person in the office? Can this be a healthy snack for people? Well, we, like I said, in my personal frame, I had diabetes as my impetus, right? Because I knew that glucose management is a big diabetic problem. For anyone who has diabetes to have this, or were you thinking for anyone who wants to avoid it? So it's both. It's to prevent the onset of diabetes because what is what causes diabetes? Continuous excursions and sugar is what causes diabetes, right? Okay. I mean, eating a lot of processed foods, those continuous excursions in your sugar ups up and down, your spikes and your crashes cause it. So diabetic people in particular need products that are not um, are not really spiking spiking their blood sugar. But um, those who want to avoid diabetes, and especially those who are pre-diabetic and those who want to avoid uh, becoming diabetic, have to be very, very conscious about their sugar intake, but they need a good energy source. And that's what you can provide for them. So on my personal reference, that was my personal reference. But really, our starting point became one of athletes because athletes are good early adopters. They kind of really know their bodies very well. So um, we knew that an opportunity for us would be to see if sustained energy could really help a marathoner, could help a a, a hockey player, could help any athlete. That's what I was noticing when I went to your site in the Internet Archive. It's always athletes first. I see on a version of the site from a couple of, well, I guess this is a year ago that that I'm seeing two people who are now stretching at the end of some kind of workout. We don't know what the workout is, but they just finished a workout. And then somewhere in the, in the photo in the area is, is you can. So you always knew before you got started, it was going to be athletes. I wonder how you reached your first athletes, how you got your first customers, but you know, before we get into that, let me just tell you quickly about rippling my sponsor. Do you mind? No, please go ahead. So, but how many employees do you have at your company? Uh, 15 right 15. now. All right. Do you feel comfortable telling me what what software you use to pay the people? Is it ADP? It's okay if you if you mention a competitor. Uh, it's it's not a, a ADP. It's um, Quicken. I oh, mean, Quicken. Yeah. 
I didn't even realize we were using Quicken until recently. My frustration was the 1099s. At the end of every year, I have to sit and start, or at the beginning of the following year, I have to sit and go through the 1099s for contractors. It's just such a hassle in QuickBooks. And then they can't see how much I paid them very easily. I can't see how much I paid anyone very easily. I need my bookkeepers and I need time for myself to figure it out. That's what sent me searching for a solution. The reason I settled on, on Rippling is Rippling makes it all easy. Everything that you do to onboard people and make sure that they see how much they get paid and to quickly pay them is all quickly done in a simple dashboard, very little interface dis, uh, issues. And I signed up for Rippling to pay my people. It's, it's freaking wonderful. Can I say that right. around you? I feel like I, I should be a little more reverential in the way I'm talking to you. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> it's freaking amazing. And the beauty is I now get to go in when I need to pay people and just hit a button and move on with my life. They have their whole profile. They get to see how much I paid them over time. They get to see when they're due next. If we were dealing with a uh, uh, vacation time and so on, and I don't want to, I don't care about that. But if we were, they get to go and manage it directly in the app. You could give them everything that they need um, to see how much they've gotten paid to uh, to make it easier for you to pay. And for me, because I've got uh, a lot of contractors all over the country, all over the world it makes it even easier. I used to have to deal with PayPal for paying international contractors. And I hate that. It feels so unprofessional to PayPal someone, but there's no other way to do it. Rippling solves that. All right. I'm going to tell you and everyone else, when you're looking for an alternative, I'm not going to tell you to sign up to Rippling. I know they're paying me to tell you to sign up. I'm not even going to tell you to go sign up. I'm going to tell you, go and do a demo with them and consider them the next time you're thinking about switching away from Quick Quicken or QuickBooks for you was for me. If someone out there is using someone else, ADP, all these services are fine. If you want great, I can't, I can't tell you why it's great. You have to see it for yourself to see why it's really amazing. And they'll do a free demo for you or anyone on your team, Shoba. All you have to do is go to rippling.com slash Mixergy. It's going to cost you less than the current service you're using. It's going to be much better. And the, and the way to see it is to actually see it, challenge them, ask them questions. That's what I did. I wanted to make sure I was with, with the right company. Rippling.com slash Mixergy. It really is. All right. And by the way, if anyone thinks it's anything short of excellent, I want to know about it. I'm not going to run ads for sponsors who don't, who I don't love. Andrew at Mixergy is my email address. I want to know every little thing. If you have a problem, I want to know about it. All right. Let's talk about the first customers. How did you get the first customer, Shoba, if you can? Uh, most of our customers, our early customers came through um, influencers. You know, we really reached out. We were all about validation. Um, because for us, our reason for being, as I've shared, was a child. Since we solved the child's problem, it wasn't our desire to really go market this commercially unless there was some validation in terms of how this product worked. So we seeded our, and, and remember it was precious to, uh, because we were manufacturing this in small quantities. So we seeded it in the hands of um, um, uh, researchers and dietitians. Uh, Dr. Jeff Wallach, who's a chief scientific officer of the company now. He's um, a big uh, believer in um, ketogenic diets. In fact, uh, really is not a big uh, proponent of carbohydrates. He uh, happened to uh, review all of the patent applications and the science, and he said if there was a carb, I would back. This is it. Uh, doc Dr. Jeff Wallach was a kinesiology professor at University of Connecticut. So we had him understand and, and explain the benefits of the products to us. Uh, we reached out to an Olympic dietitian, um, Bob Sibahar, Coach Bob Sibahar. He was training the triathlon team for Beijing, and he was looking um, uh, to evaluate our nutrition's, nutrition products. So we sent product over to him. And um, he, in turn, then reached out to fellow dietitians, one of who happened to be a dietitian for a marathoner, um, uh, Meb Kofleski. And uh, we had no idea that... Uh, um, uh, about marathoners at that point, because we didn't really, we weren't runners ourselves. I had done a couple of half marathons, but I wasn't a very uh, avid follower of the sport. And we also seeded the pro product with several um, coaches who were um, uh, coaches for um, NCAA uh, ice hockey teams. Was that you? How did you do that? You reached out to, you just cold emailed them and said, we've got this product. It's called Superstarch, right? 
we've got this ingredient. It's uh, we've got uh, super starch. Is that the, is that an ingredient or is that what you That's call correct. the right? So we've got super starch. Here's how it works. Can we send you some for your athletes to try it and see if it improves their performance? That's the pitch, I imagine. It is, but but it wasn't really uh, so removed as I might say, except for Bob Sibohar, who really we truly just Googled, and Bob was just leaving. Uh, University of Florida, if you will, the home of Gatorade and moving on to Colorado to take on this dietitian position for the Olympic uh, Olympic team. So Bob was a cold call. Dr. Jeff Wallach was a cold call because he was back in our backyard in University of Connecticut. But the coaches for the ice hockey team, um, David Feldman, the child's father, is an avid hockey um, uh, fan and a player. And so he knew some of the coaches in the ice hockey field. So we reached out to them, Connecticut-based, and then they in turn put us on to other NCAA coaches. And then was this, um, was was it about them getting it to their athletes so you can then talk about it? Or was it to get them to get them to talk about it? How do you, how do you go beyond a handful of sales to their, to these coaches? To these coaches, it was not so much a sales, as I said, validation, getting the data. How are these athletes feeling? What are, you know, what is the regimen of how they are using? What is it doing to their body? So for the entire season, we collected all of that data and that data was, was promising enough and it was compelling enough that we then uh, went on. We are all about science, so we went to, went on to do a double-blinded clinical trial, and we got results from that. And so, once we had all of that, we and and when we there was one more big pivotal moment, two big pivotal moments. One pivotal moment was uh, Meb Kiflaski winning the New York City Marathon in two thousand and nine, and while using when we, you can on you can when you we can. Knew, uh-huh. And, and we really, um, and we didn't even have a name for our product at that time. We really were providing super starch. We really did not have a brand you can. So one pivotal moment of validation was Meb winning the New York City Marathon and the fact that he had been training uh, for the marathon using UCAN as, um, uh, you know, as a product for his energy. And the other pivotal moment for us was getting the, uh, the data from all of these ice hockey teams and seeing what a wonderful season they had and coaches telling us how different uh, the, the, the players felt. And the third, and, I, and I, I cannot name this because we don't have the marketing rights to this, was a pro football team where the dietitian for the, for the pro football team really gave the product to um, defensive linesmen on the team um, and and players who were going. I, I know to the team. Back. Am I am I not supposed to mention the team? Please don't, because oh, I okay. we will we'll get into trouble. <laughs> so, how does it help you if they're using it, they're benefiting from it, but you can't even tell people about it because you're not like uh, Gatorade or Under Armour and don't have the right to talk about it? How does it even help you? Well, um, it's frustrating at times, but it does help us because dietitians and coaches are a closed network. So we don't have to be amplifying that. They they do it for us, right? They know about this? They know that this sports team is doing it? Yes. They do. Because people move. Dietitians move from one team to the other. Players move from one team to the other. And players who are loyal to uh, the product or who found great benefit from the product ask for it when they move on to another team. So you're doing over $10 million in sales from this type of word of mouth? We started with the word of mouth and then we went around building the brand. We we started then building the brand, getting a name for the brand, formulating our products in different formats from powders and bars, going, uh, you know, attending marathons. Um, So we started very strongly in running, sponsoring ambassadors in the field, um, sponsoring races. We were the nutrition for the San Francisco Marathon. We're the nutrition for the Dallas Marathon. Um, that means closely. that they're handing out your product at the marathon. Um, yes, at the marathon, prior to the marathon, on the course. We have uh, a hydration product on the course. And as as a as a runner myself, one of the things that I know is runners will see what's available on the course and then they'll want to train with that or they'll be exposed to it for the first time and they'll want to keep it up. I only cared about pita chips because they gave it away at the New York City Marathon, I think, or some one of those runs in New York. I liked it. I had a, a connection to it because that's when I achieved a big run. And so I kept buying it. That's that's what we're talking about. They're being trained to use it. And then they also have the affection of the fact that they used it on a race. And so 
all the positive feelings from the race are connected to the to the brand now. That's what you've gone for. That's exactly right. And and I think your keyword is training, right? So we know if it's race day, it's too late. You want to catch the runner when they're training. So our affiliations with our running clubs, our running specialty retailers, running coaches, they're all part of this ecosystem. And it's all about giving are- it to them before so that they're training with it, getting yes. used to it. And then if they want, they could buy it themselves afterwards. That's exactly right. And and a lot of our ambassadors are uh, great supporters of the product. They're out there for the early morning runs, setting up sampling tables, you know, talking to the new talking to the runners about different ways of fueling. Uh, and the same is true whether you're a triathlete, you know, whether you're a triathlete, an athlete, or a runner. Uh, the product has broad implications. I saw that. I'm looking at some, I guess this is a run here on on a website. These men are wearing your cans, essentially, your as big backpacks, right? That's right. And I guess they're out there handing it out. Oh, it was called generationucan.com for a while. That was a domain? That was the domain because the word UCAN was um, phonetically taken. So we really, you know, the company Ooh. was a UCAN company. The word UCAN was phonetically taken. We now have the rights to it. Um, but um, okay. we had to for launch with as generation you can. What does it cost you to sponsor a big marathon? Well, there are a range Roughly. of sponsorships, right? Depending on what you what category you you uh, you're at, um, you know. I, I think you've got uh, sponsorships all the way up to uh, I'd say a half a million, uh, starting with anywhere at fifty uh, k. So it's the whole spread, depending on the category, depending on what all you sign up for. And do you know if you, I know with an online ad, you can tell whether it pays off pretty easily. Can you tell that with the marathon? Can you tell that with one of these events? Um, you could, because you then see regional traction. You see uh, retailers buying within that region. You see engagement with clubs in that region. So you start seeing a lot of, it's much like geo-targeting on in, in the digital world, right? So if you're sponsoring a race in a particular geography and you're drawing a lot of people from that geography, you know, it's kind of working. And do you come back? Are you spreadsheet oriented about it? I remember asking the founder, or not the founder of Zappos, but Tony Shea, the leader of Zappos, about whether he was getting enough of an ROI from his customer service people spending an hour on the phone with someone. And he basically just blew me off. He said, that's not how we think. We can't measure it that way. And that's not... That's, that's just not the way things work. But it always makes me uncomfortable to not be able to say, to connect a big expense to a big revenue. Do you try to connect it back in a spreadsheet and say, we spent this much money on that race. We want to make sure that locally we're seeing a big increase and that it has to come back to the same amount we spent or more? We do on certain kind of spends. You know, when you're going consciously saying it's a big ticket item, you're going to spend on it. You really want to see whether the tra- trajectory of the return is going to be, um, you know, three months, six months. You know, it's it it depends on the kind of spend. So for a race sponsorship, it's a multi, typically a multi-year race sponsorship. So you do want to see a return within a few years. You but you you build up that right. You're going with the purpose of building up that particular geography. Uh, but I, I would agree uh, with the statement of Tony that it's not always uh, measurable. You know, certain certain programs can be measured, but certain programs are put out there for brand value. I Let me go into story. my second. I'll go into my second sponsor, and then I want to come back and tell you what I'm finding when I look at your traffic sources online. This is surprising. All right, second sponsor is a company called HostGator. I use them to host my website. If you're out there, you need a host for your website. Just go to hostgator.com/mixergy. That's how you get the lowest price they have available and great service, which they always make available. Again, hostgator.com/mixergy. All right, here's what I see. I put you into Semrush, and I see you have very little traffic on your site. It looks like you're in the 19,000 visits a month, March, 2021. That's not that much. I would have expected you to be doing a lot of your business online. I'm looking at your face as I say it and it's- it's Which day was that? Was it for all of March? All of March. I'm not seeing a ton of traffic. According to what I see here, Samrush, traffic journey starts largely with Google or direct actually, by far direct is the most. Then you got a then you got Google, DuckDuckGo. It's like you're 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 not doing a lot of online marketing, right? Well, we are. We're doing 
we, we do podcasts, we do some, um, you know, we do our social media paid, paid social, uh, whether it's Facebook campaigns, Google search ads. So we do them, but perhaps not, uh, we, we, we're experimenting on a variety of things right now to kind of then see what is, um, what are the places where we want to really bet, bet bigger. What's been working for you? Podcasts have been very uh, good for us. Sponsorship of podcasts have been good for us. Mm. Um, and influencers have been very good for us. Um, elite influencers, the, the, the sponsorships that we have done, they've been uh, a good way for us to get the word out. So those are a few of the things that have worked for us. Display you- ads have not worked for us. Uh-huh. Brand is not yet well known, right? I mean, so you yourself really um, found out about us um, more recently. So the brand is not something that's got broad distribution. We're not in the big retail stores. So, um, uh, however, in that very close net of influences, uh, it's got better traction. As Meaning I've said like before, Instagrammers who are taking pictures of what they're, who are taking pictures of their workouts and then also talking about what they're eating. That's the thing? Uh, yes, amongst the elite folks. Yes, amongst the elite influencers. And I think we're a well-known brand in uh, running, especially, you know, we had 50 uh, runners who were Olympic qualifiers in the uh, Atlanta Olympic qualifier wow. uh, last year out of 300. We had 50 of them. So in the running circle, we made, we've made some good inroads. So you started out wanting to help a broader group of people. It seems to me like you're sort of moving into that. I was looking at your Instagram page and I saw that there's some kind of almond butter. I'm assuming that making food that regular people eat is is your entry point into the average person's life. And that's the direction that you've always wanted to go in. Am I right? Um, it'll ultimately be the direction. We're still very much more a performance nutrition brand. We are for that active lifestyle consumer um, who really is committed to staying fit. So we are not about you know uh, the, the grocery shopper who's looking for the latest consumer food product. Um, we are really about delivering a benefit for people who really are committed to fitness and wellness. How does this work with my friends who hate carbs? You know what I wish I'd done? I wish, you know, the levels, um, continuous glucose monitor. I have that. I had it. I should have actually kept it in my arm while eating. You can to see what it does. Would it spike up my glucose? It wouldn't. In it fact, wouldn't. we're doing a, a very, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working closely with level levels, trying to give levels out to several of our athletes and our coaches and dietitians and getting them to really see what we have known for a very long time, how superstarch keeps your blood glucose very, very steady. So, uh, you know, prior to levels and CGMs like these coming out, you really had to get your uh, blood sugar uh, determined by testing it, right? By pick, by prick, picking, uh, pricking your finger yeah. and testing your blood. So now that you got CGMs and CGMs are going mainstream, they are helping us evangelize what we've been saying for too, for for far too long that the best way to manage your energy levels is to have a steady blood sugar, and you can provide for that. CGM continuous bl- glucose monitor. I'm. I, I need to go back and try levels again. You should. Um, you should take it with you can and then take it with whatever other product, you know, fast acting product or your cereal or whatever else you want to have. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about what, what, I, what I'm going to see and how it impacts my body. This is getting a little too like Andrew centric, but I think it's hopefully it's interesting for the audience. If it's not, they have my email address, Andrew at Mixergy. They should let me know. I want to understand how this works though. One of the things that a past guest told me is runners do not lose weight. What happens is their body holds on to a lot of their weight and because it feels like it's going to be starved of of nutrition. Am I right? Starved of food somehow? Am I right about that? Um, I'm confused with that statement a little bit, frankly. Really? I found that running is not a great way to lose weight. I do find that um, maybe not at the level that I do at long distance. Going back to the glucose monitor, when I put levels in, I did discover that two bagels a day is probably a problem for me. Yes, calories is, and that's what, two bagels to start my day. That's what, what I was doing. Calorie-wise, it's fine. If I use those calorie counting apps, it seems to say that it's it's fine. But when I look at levels, I just see a huge dramatic spike. I don't even, I didn't even understand why that was a problem, 
but it just looked so awful. I didn't want that. Right. And so I That's stopped. Yeah. You don't want that. You Why don't not? Want any- Why don't I want the glucose uh, chart to spike up at all? Well, the human body is, may- is designed to maintain blood sugar at a particular level. All right. That's what's called euglycemia, where you're neither hyper nor hypo. You don't want to be very high. You don't want to be very low. When you're hypo, which is what was the problem with Jonah, you can get into epileptic shock or coma. When you're hyper, the body is trying to bring it down and shunts that excess blood sugar off, as I said, into, into the liver. And over time, if that liver is full and you become um, insulin sensitive or insulin resistant, all that excess sugar is going to really get deposited as fat. And that's why there's such a strong correlation between fast acting, food eating, foods that are fast acting, and uh, gaining weight. So when you're taking on a bagel, you're spiking your blood sugar. The body has to correct that. The body is taking that excess blood sugar and shunting it away. If its glycogen stores are all full, it's going to deposit them as fat. Okay. And then when I run, I also notice a spike. Is that a problem? Long distance bike ride, I notice a spike. You notice a spike after In, eating something or without? Regardless, there's high glucose levels when I when I run. Um, I don't understand the physiology of that as to why you're without eating okay. anything and you're running, you've got a high glucose level. It'll happen after I do longer runs. Maybe I should check in with levels about that. I thought maybe that was a problem too of my nutrition and maybe a problem of just running in general, but you don't see that. Yeah, I don't see that. It's the problem of nutrition, but I don't see running in general causing a huge spike in blood sugar. All right. How do you spend your day? As a leader of a company, what, where does most of your time go? Um, it's, it's really about looking at all aspects of the company every day. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, uh, it, it, it is empowering people to do what they need to do. Um, so I'm spending my time looking at what's happening in marketing, what's happening in finance, what's happening in supply chain, what's happening in, uh, in sales. So it's all aspects of that. And How do you every do that? day by looking at numbers as they come in, no, by talking to the, by talking to my, um, uh, functional heads okay. and understanding what issues they are running into. So especially in these pandemic times, right? I mean, you you could have a huge supply chain issue one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have um, with our with our kind of uh, business, which was focused so much on sports, all of our channels of selling were closed overnight uh, last March when um, you know when the Olympics were canceled, when NCAA was canceled, and all of our mm-hmm. pro pro team sports were cl- closed. Lifetime Fitness, which was one of our biggest customers, all gyms were closed. So it can be a sales issue one day that you're trying to solve. It can be a marketing issue that you're trying to uh, help out with. Could be a supply chain issue because right now, uh, many of the businesses are struggling with supply chain issues because of overseas uh, shipments coming in, whether it's uh, tubs and lids or whether it's um, uh, ingredients that you're dependent on. Um, so a lot of these things are, it's, it's about fixing problems that need to be fixed for that day. And then what's your management style? What, how do you guide your team? Um, I give them a vision of where we are headed. Uh, we very much use, um, uh, you know, you're familiar with, um, um, you know, um, measuring everything that matters, OKRs. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So we are, we are big proponents of OKRs. So we try to set up um, OKRs at a, at a quarterly level and we monitor them on a regular basis. So they've been very helpful for us. And as a team, we do end of the day wrap meetings where the functional heads get together and kind of like just talk about the issues of the day. Um, so we do that. And we also have a monthly touch base with all of the employees of the company to kind of share everyone's, um, uh, to give everyone, especially in these times, an opportunity to express themselves. Do you get them to actually, do you feel that they can talk openly about a problem that they're having when they're working remotely? Definitely. I think these community meetings have helped us. I really? Recall, yeah. And our functional heads have been very, very much in touch. Uh, it, I think we've adapted now over time with these um, Google Hangouts and Zoom meetings mm-hmm. to really be in touch with one another more often than we were when we were doing things in person. Because as a, as a company, we're very 
very dispersed. We have people in Massachusetts, in, in Minneapolis, in um, Texas, in um, New Jersey. So yeah. we, we were dispersed, even if we are 15 people. But uh, this setup of uh, uh, Zoom and Google Hangout has helped us a lot more. Yeah. You've, you were always remote. You're going to stay remote. Yes. Uh, Our headquarters function will always be there. There'll be pick and pack and, you know, support at the headquarters level. But I think we've adapted ourselves to to working remote. Um, All right. When do you go to the broader audience? When do you go outside of the athletes that you're focused on now? Well, we've been going to the broader audience, like I said, through those gyms, right? Um, the gym, the Lifetime Fitness has been one of our biggest clients over the last several years. We've, we've started doing that. We started going to uh, that audience of consumers who want to stay fit. To me, they are one step remote from that. Uh, soccer mom who wants to feed her, uh, you know, her family well, you know, her family healthy food. So it's, we are, we've already started ma- making that move, but it's within that realm of fitness. All right. My favorite thing is, I'm going to give people advice if they, if they get this, my favorite of all your stuff, it's the uh, granola, right? It's got chocolate in it. It's got other things in it. I'm just going to give advice to you, un- unsolicited advice to you and advice to my audience. Anyone who has it should not, I don't think you should just have an open bag like that. It's too easy to go through the whole thing. And that's just not good for our body right before run. That's one product that I wish you'd put into smaller packets, just so I know how much I'm supposed to have. I'm telling you, I set, I stood there at the kitchen before a run. I just kept shoveling mouthfuls. And then I put it in my plastic Ziploc bag, put in my run running pants. And then I went for a long run with it. And that's just too much. It's too much. Unless you decide you're going to make it into a snack right. and then we'll it's like a day-to-day with, snack. We'll come out with single serves. Single serve, yes. We'll come out with single serves just for you. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe should a I take like a cup, you Definitely. know, like a measuring yeah. cup and just take one cup of it? How much am I supposed to have realistically? Yep. One measuring cup worth. Well, you, uh, a measuring cup is good, especially if you're going to have it like a, you know, a bowl with yogurt and granola topped uh, or the energy mix topped. Yeah, I think a good full uh, energy uh, scoop would do. I'm but like, like, I, like I was telling I, you, though, don't I do it before me. a run or during a run. I would suggest that you could go our new product. The edge is the right product for you for an on the go product. The edge and is like that any squeezable of our energy yep. gel. Yep. They had that yep. you're saying before a run. Yes. All right. The website for anyone who wants to go check it out is youcan.co. You can is U-C-A-N.co. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first will host your website, right? They host my site. It's called HostGator. Check them out at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, if you have a team of people, go check out Rippling. I'm telling you, do your research on them. Forget about what I said. Go do your research on them and you will see how great Rippling is for paying your people, managing them, and letting them just, just have a great experience rippling.com slash Mixergy if you want a demo right now. Thanks so much for doing this interview, Shoba. Thank you very much, and Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thanks. Bye, everyone.